0: Well, here we are. It is the 14th of November, 2023, and this is episode 15 of season three of the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers!
1: Hello there. I'm Joel. And I'm Misty. And you're listening to the More Math for More People podcast, an outreach of CPM educational program.
0: We have a lot of conversations about math and math education on this podcast. We're passionate about continually improving the way math is taught, and we hope that you learn something in every episode that helps you become better at what you do.
1: And we hope that you have some fun and laugh as well. That always makes things a little more interesting.
0: Yep. We're pretty passionate about having fun, Joel.
1: Mm-hmm. So, please have a listen, and we think it'll be well worth it.
0: Boom. We're starting off the podcast this week with an announcement. If you're listening to this on the day that it released, tomorrow, November 15th, is the final day for the early bird pricing for the 2024 CPM Teacher Conference. So if you get registered by tomorrow, you can save $75 on the main conference, and you can save $75 on the pre-conference. On November 16th, the prices go up. So get yourself registered. You really want to save money, so get yourself registered by tomorrow, November 15th. End of announcements. All right, Joel, so here we are. It is the 14th of November. It is. And as usual, we're going to have a National Day Of segment. I so, like what is the national day today?
1: Today is National Pickle Day.
0: National Pickle Day.
1: Yeah, not to be like confused a, with Pickleball Day. That was a different. That was oh, a different episode. Oh, that was a different
0: thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have this to go is, back to episode three.
1: That's right. But this, yes,
0: no, not pickleball.
1: This is National Pickle national Day.
0: National Pickle Day. That's right. It's confusing that we have so many things that start with pickle. Yeah. Well, it just makes me think of like getting in a pickle. Yeah, that's a baseball thing. That's it's not that oh. either. Maybe it Maybe. is. I don't know. Actually.
1: Getting in a pickle is a baseball thing, like yeah. It,
0: when you get in a pickle,
1: yeah, I thought that was just—I've heard it, but I didn't know it was a baseball thing.
0: Well, like it's a, like a baseball thing when the when the runner gets caught between the bases. That just and sounds like trouble. Have, well, it is, but it's <laughs> called it gets it's called to get them in a pickle, right? Oh. And then they have to throw the ball back and forth, yeah? and you know, there's know certain ways they do it so that they don't interfere or obstruct. And when you're umpiring, that's what you have to really start watching for is interference and obstruction. <laughs> But we used to play it when I was a kid, too. We used to try to play that. But it was hard because the people just throw the ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. (laughs) And then you're not trying to get from one base to another. I don't know. We tried to mimic it as a game. And it it seemed like it was going to be more fun than it was.
1: (laughs) It wasn't. It It didn't live off to your expectations? (laughs) It didn't
0: really live. Because there's only two people throwing the ball back and forth. There's not like the whole you have to trade (laughs) off players and lots of other nuances to it. It
1: sounds like it might be worth another try and you could do it on today.
0: I could do it today. I'd have to find some people, baseball mitts and gloves, (laughs) and a baseball. Two things to be a base. But I could do it. It's right. It's true. I could do that.
1: How (laughs) how open would your neighbors be if you came out the front door with your glove and just said, "All right, everybody, who's who's in for a pickle?" And then,
0: (laughs) who wants to play pickle right here in the street? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Okay. I don't know.
0: Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I don't think that's what the day is about. No. Oh, okay. Is it about things that are cured and yep. pickled? I know, I know. There's, there's, that's yeah, it's with vinegar or otherwise yep. fermented,
1: fermented foods,
0: fermented foods. Yeah,
1: I think it's interesting that the word pickle comes from pickling, but it, like the I think wow. that's interesting. I know, but the that the earliest that archaeologists have found evidence mm-hmm. of pickling was mm-hmm. back. With Cleopatra and Julius Caesar in that time,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure what that year was.
0: In the something BC Egyptian times, very,
1: very old That's times very of the earth, yeah, hmm. yeah.
0: Well, and when you say pickling, you mean like like fermenting things
1: mm-hmm. naturally. This, and this is more than just things to it's,
0: preserve them.
1: It's literally a cucumber on this day, but it is to preserve oh. those cucumbers. It's not. It's is, not pickling. It's the pickle itself is oh. the celebration of the day.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. But the archaeological thing, was that about cucumber pickles or oh I see. Yes, pickling? that
1: that's the first it is about the cucumbers. The first oh. evidence of pickled cucumbers.
0: I see. I wonder if they were savory or sweet. Probably they were savory. <laughs> they
1: might have <laughs> they might have had pickle vendors and they They might have. And they put them been, on a stick. Yeah. Do you like a, a dill or a sweet? What's your favorite?
0: Um, if I am going to have a pickle, well, so I grew up eating dill pickles, mm-hmm. like kosher dill pickles. My dad liked a particular kind of pickles, particular kind of pickles that we always had. That's the way I associate the taste of a pickle hmm. with it, because that's the pickles we always grew up with. And then when I go places and they have like pickle spears or something like that, and they're like dillier or saltier, hmm. smooshier, I don't know. They're yeah. just different to me. I'm not as, I'm not as, as fond of them. Got you. But I like pickles on my hamburger mm-hmm. if there's other things with it. If it's just a cheeseburger and then they put the, just the mustard there's in pickles.
1: There's some pickles. Pickle. Not enough. You got to have tomato or something.
0: Tomato, something else to go with it. Yeah. yeah. Do
1: That's you like pickle different. in your tuna fish? Yes. I do too.
0: I do like pickle tuna fish for sure. And I will still have pickle in my tuna fish now.
1: There's there's a place I like. Uh, they sell these sandwiches. And I always get a pickle, dill pickle, quartered mm-hmm. with my sandwich mm-hmm. every time.
0: I see. I see.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I used to make fermented things and I weren't, not so much pickles. Okay. Other fermented things, like naturally, not with vinegar. Cause that's the thing. A lot of pickles nowadays are, they're not actually fermented. They're just vinegar. Vinegar. Cured. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's a quicker process, maybe yeah. or something. I used to be part of a pickle of the month club and every oh, wow. month they'd send a, box two jars every month and it, they would be from local stores of different areas and they would be man so they'd be like sweets other or spicy vegetables. or something they could have those in there but mm-hmm. it, they were all the like a pickle spear oh okay and so it wasn't like disc. kimchi or other no. kinds of things like no. not
0: like mixed like
1: they pickle were pickles but or, different know, like flavors and so there would be maybe some some of that stuff in the juice itself to give flavor sure. to the pickle yeah but. Yeah, yeah like that was fun for a while. It's a lot of pickles to eat.
0: Yeah, two yeah. jars a month.
1: Yeah, it's more <laughs> than my normal habit. I'll, t- I'll tell you this too. Recently, and you you were there. We were in Tempe, Arizona, mm-hmm. and during that time, I stayed with my mom, and we were actually mm-hmm. talking about that when you get a cramps. Athletes now mm-hmm. are drinking pickle juice, and they even, what? yeah, they sell like a a shot of pickle juice. For athletes now when you get a cramp and oddly enough I was swimming in the pool and I got a cramp immediately we mm-hmm. ran into the kitchen got me a shot of pickle juice I think either it really worked or I just had enough time between that that running into the house mm-hmm. I didn't run somebody else ran uh-huh. into that I understand because you had a I, cramp I had a cramp it seemed to work right
0: so it either really worked or it was just correlation
1: correct yeah <laughs> One of the two.
0: I see. I see. Well, that's interesting. I would think it, like, it's just the salt, but you could just eat salt.
1: and Pickle juice. Pickle juice. It's, it's the way to go. All right.
0: Well, All right. it's National Pickle Day, so yep. you could join a Pickle of the Month Club, or you could just eat <laughs> whatever your favorite pickle is. Drink juice, eat the pickle. Drink juice, even if it. you don't have a cramp, maybe. Yep. Preventative. I don't know. But it is National Pickle Day, so go and enjoy. Enjoy it. So this week, we have something a little different for you. We're going to do a reprise of a conversation that we had on season one of the podcast. And we're bringing this up in particular right now because when teachers embark with CPM, the three pillars can be challenging. Collaborative learning, problem-based learning, and mixed-based practice are embedded into the program. And teachers can work really hard to bring these into their classrooms in full and complete ways. Personally, I think that mixed space practice can be the one that is the most challenging of those three because it's the one that, in some ways, makes CPM the most different from other programs that strive for collaborative learning and include problem based learning activities in their curricula. Mixed space practice is the one that is hardest to get, it's the hardest to understand, and sometimes the hardest to implement. And a big part of the mixed-based practice pillar is the storylines of the CPM courses. So we're going to go back to a conversation that we had with Dr. Leslie Diedeker back in October of 2021. It was on podcast 13 of season one, where we had a conversation with Dr. Leslie Diedeker around the mathematical storylines. So here you go. Enjoy. So we're here today with Dr. Leslie Diedeker. Dr. Leslie Diedeker is an associate professor of mathematics education at the Wheelock College of Education and Human Development at Boston University. She teaches courses in mathematics and pedagogy to future high school mathematics teachers, as well as research and theories in mathematics curriculum to masters and doctoral students. She is an elected board member of the International Society of the Design and Development of Education and is on the advisory board of the CPM Educational Program. Dr. Dietricher also designs and leads professional development for schools and districts in the Boston region. Dr. Dietricher taught high school mathematics and computer science at a public high school in San Francisco, California for 17 years. She has received a national board certification, and is also a lead author of seven CPM textbooks. So, welcome, Leslie, yeah, and welcome. thank you for being here with us today on the podcast. How are you today?
2: Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I'm doing well. Good,
1: great.
0: So, you are involved with the writing and editing of CPM courses for some time, and have been instrumental in the, the development of pretty much all the current courses. One of my first memories of you was when we were working on the Making Connections writing project in Davis in 2008. And this was the very first time that I had ever heard of a mathematical storyline. And this is a pretty important feature of CPM courses, turns out. So I would love to hear what you could tell us about mathematical storylines. What are they and why are they important?
2: It's so interesting. Thank you for those memories. Uh, (laughs) You know, I got to say... brings me back. And what's really on my mind right now that you say that is how much it maybe has changed. But back then, the mathematical storyline was really conceptualization that I think supported my thinking in how content can unfold in, in a textbook or in my classroom. And what I I remember vividly back in those days where we were really talking about tasks and lessons and chapters and books is that that we could talk about those things. So those things we had words for. We had words for definitions. And if we wanted to have some kind of exposition where we defined something, we had toolkits or we had math boxes or things like that. We have words mm-hmm. for tangible items of curriculum materials, but it was really there was limitations in terms of language for thinking about how mathematics evolves and changes across a lesson. And when I would think about how certain choices might set up or not set up or ruin mm-hmm. a development of a lesson, some kind of like mathematical progression, I didn't have any language for it. And I think it was I I can't remember which textbook I was working on where I, I finally like maybe hit upon the idea of story. But as far as I know, it just evolved over time in my thinking. Yeah. So yeah, I but back then I think it was just kind of language. And then I would talk about it with various writers. And I think that I I felt like at least it was it it was helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Then later I went and dug into it a little bit more, learning about what narratives are and learning about stories and thinking about them more deeply and realizing how really as as authors we had already started to embark on a path of really recognizing the power of thinking this way because because mm-hmm. there are a lot of affordances that you know it. it it helps to shed light on
0: sure so if you had to describe or define what a mathematical storyline is how would you succinctly <laughs> if you can say what what is it where where would i see it how would i know what it is
2: yeah well i think actually what's really important is to first think about what a story is mm-hmm. so for example thinking about a story i like to use wizard of oz for example because a lot of people have have familiarity with that story. Mm -hmm. And I think about how the story opens. I'm thinking about the movie. Mm -hmm. And the story opens and we get introduced to Dorothy and we learn, all we learn about her is that she lives on a farm. She's a young female. She's unsatisfied with where she is. And she has these characters around her family members and animals and things. And that's all we know at that point. And so we have to recognize that as a story, we get introduced to things and what the story is going, the substance of the story, the characters, sure. mm-hmm. the, the things, the setting. And at that point of that story, I don't really know what's going to happen. I might imagine something about it, but I'm really just guessing at straws. Maybe it's about her life. Maybe it's she, some, something, she maybe she's going to get an accident. I don't know what it is. And then, suddenly, the story advances. Mm -hmm. It introduces this tornado, and it throws her into this this new land, and suddenly, there's all of these strange things happening to her in this new land. And that right there now tells me that the change there tells me something is now developing about, we're we're now going to see her in this conflict where she is now afraid where she is. How is she going to get home? And... And so the story has done something to us, us, as an audience. It has it has set up a chance for us to wonder. Okay, we know where she lives. She's now far away from that. We don't know anything about where she is. And so now it sets up an opportunity to ask questions and wonder now how things, how how she's going to get home. What is this Oz? Who's the who's the wizard? And the rest of the story then is really about answering those questions and and mm-hmm. having twists and turns about how. How the wizard maybe is not actually a wizard, maybe. We find out he's a fraud, for example. Right. But we, we, we think he is a wizard, but mm-hmm. now we, we now know he's not. Mm-hmm. And so stories work on us by drawing us in and getting us invested in a set of questions. And those questions then w- are what we then watch the rest of the story or read the mm-hmm. rest of the story to mm-hmm. try to figure out. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a truth it's like it's a pursuit of truth so a book or a story kind of sets us into some kind of world of which we then are seeking knowledge or we're seeking truth mm-hmm. for it and from it and the and and so so if we can take that idea of a story and now think about mathematics we can see that in in mathematics we also experience things similarly where we mm-hmm. like think about how we might in a in a lesson we might start very much like the wizard of oz where we're introducing a triangle or a polygon mm-hmm. or maybe it's a function or something like that mm-hmm. and at that point nothing's happened nothing's advanced all we have is a character we have a setting maybe the parabola is on a graph maybe maybe there is some details about it we know about its symmetry and so on so we have some some information about it but nothing's happened and so so there's no way to guess where the story's headed but after mm-hmm. we we might suddenly, in this task with this parabola, we might be given a challenge where we're going to be trying to transform the the parabola so it accomplishes something like, right. like the, for example, find the parabola which where the basketball will go into the hoop or something mm-hmm. like that. Of which now there's now there's something that to look forward to. Can can we transform it? Suddenly, we might start asking questions that then get us invested in trying to figure out some mm-hmm. kind of truth in the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: So. You asked me for a succinct
0: <laughs> definitely. Well, I, I also right
2: past that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: I also know you, Leslie, so Okay. I, okay. I knew okay. that was a not a really reasonable request. Right, right, okay. right.
2: Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess the succinct answer is just mm. seeing how mathematics unfolds kind mm-hmm. of that connects a beginning to an ending so that so that somebody who's experiencing can send mm-hmm. a, a through line. And mm-hmm. predict where it's going.
1: I was just going to say, when you were uh, writing that, did you think one book at a time? Because I feel like I see those stories sometimes through many courses. So mm-hmm. was that a thought when you're writing for the books? Yeah. I,
2: I, I, I do see like stories between and across all of the books. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky that when we were writing the connections books, at least for the algebra and geometry connections, for example, we were doing them sequentially, so we could we could have that take. And same thing with, with the making connections, it was a little harder. We were simultaneously creating wow. the two courses at the same time. And while we did have a over an overarching sense of how how a story could go, there were so many details in the crafting of those lessons that altered the stories as we were right. writing them, mm-hmm. that it was really hard to 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 think that way. And and it's and I think it shows in the in the way in which the courses there there might be places where we we didn't get to take advantage of some aspect of the story because whoever was crafting, let's say, Making Connections 2 didn't yet know how Making Connections <laughs> 1 would end. <laughs> and only yeah. that, but then we had revisions that happened, <laughs> pretty, pretty large revisions that happened after first year. And so so that that. <laughs> that significantly probably was altered the the later courses then that got to take content and reshape new courses maybe mm-hmm. they had a an eye toward that but i don't know
0: gotcha. yeah when we took the making connections courses and then pulled them apart and re resequenced them for common core standards it, it, there were some nice things because we could avoid some of those overlaps that had been in the books because they were trying to meet lots of different standards and at the same time we tried to really really keep that storyline like Mm -hmm. unless we had a really good reason to move the order of the things around Mm -hmm. or were forced to because of where the standards fell and we had to pull things apart we tried to really maintain a lot of the storyline that was there Um, and 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 improve it if we could. Like sometimes we're like, oh, sure. this would be a great place to add some connections between the pieces that are happening in this course. So, right.
2: Right. When I started that's-
1: teaching with CPM, I was using that making connections book. Uh-huh. And right then they switched to the core connections and then I switched to the integrated. So I, yeah. it's interesting to hear this background because how it's all pieced together and the thought process behind that. So that's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah.
0: I, I like how. There's two things I thought about while you were talking. One is I like the idea that the storyline—it's it, kind of an analogy or a metaphor, but it's not at the same time because the characters in a story, as I'm learning, like the, with the example that you gave about Dorothy, I'm learning about the characters as they're doing things in the story, right? As things are happening to them and as they're responding, I'm learning about oh, what the cowardly lion is like and what. It, what his personality is and how he behaves and his attributes basically and so the in a mathematical storyline we learn those similar kinds of things about characters that are now mathematical ideas about what a parabola does and how it behaves and what if we do this what happens to it or different shapes and things and i i like that that similar kind of idea between those two things for sure oh yeah
2: right and just like how you can have a story that's Action-oriented, for example, in a movie, you can also mm-hmm. think about, like, what are the mathematical actions? Do we ever have lessons that are really solely, squarely action-oriented? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but you can also have, like, a deep char- character development, a lesson on fractals, for example, or, 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 or something, where it was really around the investigation of the, this mathematical mm-hmm. object.
1: Sure. I remember re- I used to read a a series when I was younger called Choose Your Own Adventure books. Mm. There's there's some of that in there too. because <laughs> well, as
0: you as each person interacts, they're going to get a different thing from yeah. from whatever the development is, whatever's happening. My other thought was some of the things as as the as the, we think of the course as a storyline in the progression, then the teachers become cooperative storytellers with students, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the teacher is sort of aware of where the story is going, but there are other elements to the story and and pieces and perspectives that students might have as they're seeing where the story is going. And so the teacher becomes that sort of storyteller, but not in a telling like this is what happens way, but in a sort of like, hey, this is this is the journey mm-hmm. and kind of kind of join the students in that story is really cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. What you're talking what what you're touching on I think is super important cuz because that is a, a risk with using this metaphor is that people might think of the old school I'm now going to tell you tell you the story and I do think of it more like guerrilla theater where where the audience <laughs> participates and and it's a co-construction. But yeah, the teacher may plan the story, right? Or the textbook may have a planned story. But what happens in the classroom, of course, is is very different. And that's actually so where true. my
0: research is right now. Mm, very cool. So so we've talked a little bit about what they are, what they're important, how they've impacted the design of the curriculum. They're they're deeply embedded in it for sure. What do you think would be an important thing? For teachers using CPM to know about mathematical storylines, in addition to this, you're not the teller, perhaps part of it, what else do you think teachers would need to know?
2: Yeah, I think, well, one of the things that I, I, I think I, I like at asking teachers to do is to think about the stories they like mm-hmm. and, and think about the variety of stories that maybe they, they hold appreciation for and what what purposes those different stories serve for them. And then to think about the stories that their mathematics lessons offer and and try to see that same variety or same opportunities. So if usually when I ask teachers what what kinds of stories they like, I give variations because obviously different people like different kinds of stories. But often they tell me it's going to be something that sucks them in that they can get invested in, that they, they can't put down, Mm -hmm. that they, they want to keep reading. And I, and I asked them to think about what would us, what would a mathematics lesson have to look like to make you similarly feel that way? Mm -hmm. And why, why shouldn't we at least try to make that happen? I think that, Mm -hmm. that there are, there are stories that don't grab us. And I am certainly not one to think there's like a, a, a quick fix, right? We can't we can't make every every lesson it, it would it would actually be worse if we made every lesson a fabulous story because then it would get so predictable in that way that right. it wouldn't work anymore, right? So if you think about it, stories work best when they vary, mm. when when they offer us something to rich to think about, but yet they're not predictable. They're not leading us through the nose. And, and then have have teachers then apply that reasoning to thinking through what kinds of opportunities they're offering, their, what kinds of stories they're offering in class. Yes. So one of the exercises I like to to do, especially with CBM teachers, is to to look at the stories that we've designed within a textbook and start to recognize them for where, what they are. Because, because it's quite possible that with this new metaphorical way of looking at a textbook that they they might see some new affordances and when i when i say that i mean they might see some opportunities they didn't originally recognize um if you, if i think back on my long teaching career and i think <laughs> about the various ways that i i interacted with textbook materials mm-hmm. i can remember times when actually i would turn to a textbook and say okay now i need a task
0: Mm-hmm. I need, I need something
2: to introduce this idea. Yeah. Or maybe I'm, I'm opening up a textbook and saying, okay, well, what can I assign for homework? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm saying, okay, what materials do I need to, to go get ready? But so there are various questions we ask of our curriculum materials when we, when we interact with them, right? They're, right. they're, they're a resource, they're a tool. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's a potential story is one of the questions we can ask. We can say, Okay, let me let me see what, mm-hmm. what what are the possibilities here for how I might make mathematics like awe? Ah, how could I give my students a sense of awe? Or mm-hmm. could right. I can I create a suspense? Mm-hmm. Or is there any opportunity for surprise or possibly other kinds of aesthetic experiences that when we think about stories that move us, we might recognize those are powerful moments for us. Mm-hmm. And then then they might notice that we've actually, not every single lesson, right, but mm-hmm. that we've created opportunities for surprise mm-hmm. and for suspense and for for wondering, for curiosity. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I remember when we were writing that we would often do is we would, what if? Well, what if we changed the order of these two mm-hmm. ideas? Mm-hmm. That, like I think we, many of us, we grew up with some sort of like, oh, you teach this, then this, then this, then this, right? This sort of progression of whatever traditional learning it was. And we did a little bit of, well, what if, what if we did this lesson or this idea first, how might that change the way kids engage with this next concept? And there were sometimes, and I think that's one of the, in my opinion, one of the most amazing things about the geometry book is the doing of symmetry before Mm -hmm. congruence. Right. and that that just that whole idea of like, oh, well, we're going to investigate this and then this other idea comes out of it. And sometimes it it's that is one of the big challenges when teachers, when they're first implementing, because they're like, well, that's not the order it's supposed to be. right Because they're used <laughs> to some other story. And and then but kids don't know that story and kids can can engage in these ideas in a different mm-hmm. way and with the tools that they have at that moment. And I I love how we really thought about those ideas because everyone else so I was like, oh, yeah. but this would be great because then they could think about this and this and this.
1: It, it reminds me of learning tangent before sine and cosine yeah, too. Like it's, totally. it's just a different way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. so much in math too has that idea anyway. Like numbers are were discovered because what if this thing would happen?
0: <laughs>
1: we're saying it can't, but what if it could? And then <laughs> we learn so much more.
2: Yeah, I I, I got to say... You're you're bringing me back. I, I I want to credit one of our CPM writers from long ago, Carlos Cabana, who mm. who I worked with on many the early textbooks, Algebra Connections for for sure. But even before that, I remember working with him on calculus and having deep discussions around how we were going to sequence content. And it was just such a pivotal moment. I think like while I was completely on board with totally changing the kinds of experiences students had with mathematics and really trying to think about what would a what would a calculus textbook look like if it was completely problem-based, that that's where mm-hmm. my head was. And I remember distinctly discussions around how we were going to start and everything that I was coming up with was from my pre-existing beliefs mm-hmm. of of sequence mm-hmm. of what content uh, of calculus you have to of course start with limits and mm-hmm. then you of course you, you do continuity and then mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. yada yada like mm-hmm. and and he at one point in the middle of a discussion he's like I f- think I just realized that you're assuming we're going to start this sequence and 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 I'm not assuming that like why not start with integration and I'm like like it was like a bomb detonated Mm -hmm. i i i did not see that coming and (laughs) and i i wasn't quite quite honestly i wasn't like i wasn't accepting it for a little while i i had Mm -hmm. to really think through it and talk about it and and then suddenly i realized yeah why Mm -hmm. don't we
3: and that's actually why the calculus
2: book Yeah, exactly
1: (laughs) it takes time (laughs) yes
2: exactly and so i yeah i had my own little time Mm -hmm. and and it was, he was, he was right. Like, that's the fascinating part. Let's get, let's get them involved in, in area under a curve. Why not start there? And then we could develop limits through that. Yes. Why not do that? And suddenly it was like everything then changed after that for cool. me. It was mm-hmm. like, I, 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 suddenly realized I need to, I need to let go of whatever, <laughs> whatever content I, assumptions that I have.
1: last. Nice.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining yeah, us, Leslie. We really appreciate this time with you. Is anything else you you're like? Oh, I wanted to make sure I said this thing.
2: Yeah i I think that one of the the things that we need to do as teachers is we need to listen to ourselves. And when we notice that we have opportunities, and we recognize, oh gosh, I don't want that student to share that idea yet because that's going to 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 what, what sometimes I think the, the phrase is, is give away the punchline, I guess, is the way I think sometimes teachers think of it, that, there, there's, that that's a recognition that we see opportunities for, for moments of surprise or for deep wonder, and that, th- that those, those are the things we can lean into. I think that mm-hmm. that kind of is, is what all of us probably can tangibly recognize that has happened to us. And in many ways, those are the voices inside us that, that give us an opportunity to recognize, how is this happening? How are we seeing? How come I can recognize this moment here and maybe start to turn that into more deliberate choices that we make when we mm-hmm. start planning our lessons or deliberate things that we do within class? Oh,
0: thank you so well, much, Well, thank Leslie. you for what
2: you guys do. I've enjoyed oh, listening to you. Excellent. It's thank so you. strange to be talking to you now, actually, because <laughs> I'm... <laughs> It's kind of like yeah. I'm listening to a podcast and then I, you guys are talking to me. So
1: that's very
0: strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interactive podcast at that's this right. moment. That's right.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank Great. you. Thank you. It's that time again when we hear from our participants and to join them on their journey. We're happy to have another update from our teachers, and let's take a listen and what they're up to.
3: Hi, Misty and Joel. I just finished my first quarter with CPM, and things are looking up. I've been using more STTS, that's study team and teaching strategies with my students, and they seem to be responding well. I just recently tried Jigsaw and Parish Check, and loved the conversations and the mathematical ownership that I saw students taking. I really saw students have authority with the math that we were learning and they really, it was cool to see each student take some part in explaining and owning the mathematical skills that we were developing. If students got stuck, that also became apparent and I could see really what they were getting stuck with and I really got a window into their thinking and it was just really awesome to see that. I've also been letting groups work more on their own and been sitting down with the struggling groups and working on problems with them and i feel like that's been going really well i i've seen students helping each other really awesome collaboration and conversations happening so i i just love the structures that cpm provides and i think students are responding well to it i'm still resisting going over all the problems that's like a struggle i've been having when It seems like most students are not understanding a particular problem. I'm like, all right, hey, class, let's (laughs) everybody write this down. And I think I could save on time if I let back on that and let students struggle together. I'm working on developing a poster, as is recommended, where we go to the board and think about what to do when we're stuck. So I think that could help if I had a place in the room where to refer to when teams are stuck. And that just kind of brings up like one of my biggest struggles is with time. In my regular integrated one, ninth grade math class, time is our enemy. (laughs) We (laughs) seem to always run out of time. And when students are learning and collaborating, it's just a beautiful thing and when that happens i have a really hard time cutting it short just the other day a girl got stuck with something and this other student was being really patient explaining and teaching that student what they were doing when they were doing transformations on the plane so when i see beautiful teaching moments and learning happening I'm going to let it happen and we'll get there. So that's one of my struggles. I know I got to keep working on finding those critical problems and focusing on those. But when awesome things are happening in class, I it's something to celebrate. I just love how many resources CPM has. I, I've been looking into more STTS and Brain Breaks. I highly recommend Checking out the team support and the team resources tab, the brain breaks. I hadn't really thought of or known about some of those ideas, and it just sounds really cool. I'm excited to try it. I also like the icebreakers. I want to do more of those. I've printed off some interview questions to get teams more familiar and acquainted with each other, more comfortable working together. and my advice would be to just keep trying things out. That's how I've been learning and how I think I've kind of come across some of these things that are working out well with my students and also to let students find their way and to recognize that I'm here to support them as needed, but it's a lot better when students teach and when students say things than when I do. So... That's kind of uh, something I'm learning as we're going and as students are becoming more confident and competent as well. So, thanks for listening and can't wait to report next time. Take care.
4: It's Maggie, and this is where I am on my journey. My students have just taken the chapter two test from Inspiring Connections, Course Three. And we call them instead of a chapter test, we call them a check for understanding. And what I'm loving about the chapter two test from CPM is that it's really comprised from content in chapter one and chapter two. And so what I've done is I've broken it down so that the students are actually getting three different grades on like the three different major topics in chapter one and chapter two. So it was covering like scatter plots and association, the transformations, and then linear functions, but more specifically looking at proportional relationships and being able to compare different proportional relationships using the unit rate. And so I... Have just returned the assessments to the students and they were so happy. And it was like a time for them to celebrate because this was the second time that they had been assessed on it. And not that the first time didn't go well, but I know that whenever you're doing something the second time around, you're always more confident. And so I know that the students will do well when they feel confident. And so given that this was really essentially a reassessment, they felt really confident and i even saw that where on the assessment at the top of each page it's basically a circle with essentially two eyes and the students have to fill in what their what the expression is and it was it was really interesting i'd never done it to be honest i kind of was like this is kind of silly but it gave me a little insight into what the students were thinking and so even those like little things of what are the students feeling leads to great conversation afterwards. Now, you would never use that in terms of grading it, but when you're handing them back, you can have the conversation of, oh, I see that you were a little nervous, but you did very well. How can we make you feel more confident or what are ways that you can do to double check your answer? Math is always amazing because, especially with CPM, you can represent things in different ways. So if it's a graph and you're not feeling hundred percent confident, could you change it into a table so you feel more confident in it? So it's leading to more conversation. But then also the opposite had to happen where I saw that they based off the, this this smiley face or this feeling that they felt pretty confident and in going through. what I noticed is that like maybe they had rushed through it. And so it leads to that conversation of how can you? make sure that you double check or make sure that it's not, you're checking for those simple mistakes. Did you add the unit rate? Were you able to double check? And so it was nice to kind of build that rapport with the students when we return the assessments because you can lead to different conversations. The last thing just to wrap this up in terms of the assessment. So the students do the assessments, we hand them back and they got three different grades. Of the three different learning goals, then I have them add a glow. So something that they were really proud of, and then a grow. And I try to make sure that it's not necessarily content specific for the grow, because at this point, they had already reassessed it twice, although we may reassess again. But it could be the glow could be I double checked my answers, or the glow could be is that I took my time and I didn't rush. And then a grow. It could be is I didn't use the ruler, even though I had a ruler on my page. Or we're getting into expressions and combining like terms. So knowing that they're moving in that direction, I did have a student that shared, "I want to make sure I use colors because I know that that's helpful for me." So we're trying to build their repertoire of skills that can be applied to any assessment. And the nice thing is that I have a record of it, so it's not living in their notebook, but also the parents have it. So we're going into parent-teacher conferences and it's nice because I can also reference, oh look, at this as a focus area or this was a feedback. So really utilizing the tools that we already have and having them, the students, put in their own language what they're working on and what their feedback is overall. So I'm excited for our next assessment and seeing how they can build on their grows and continue their glows.
0: That's it for now. So that's all we have time for on this episode of the More Math for More People podcast.
1: For more information and to stay connected, find CPM on Twitter and Facebook. You can find our handles in the podcast description.
0: The music for the podcast was created by Julius H. and can be found on Pixabay.com. Thanks, Julius. Join us in two weeks for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel?
1: It's going to be November 28th, Red Planet Day. So back in the first season, I guess, we talked about Pluto being a planet or not being a planet for that matter. But today's day, we're celebrating Mars and way back in Uh, They say in about 400 BC, Babylonians began keeping records of celestial events, and they called Mars Negro, or the King of Conflicts, probably because of its color and how that's associated with blood when they would go to war, and so that 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 conflict was known way back then that it must be the Red Planet's fault. So that's kind of the history of Red Planet Day, but we'll dive in more. We'll see ya.